In this week's In Ear Insights, we're going to expand on a topic that we talked about before on our live stream, and I also talked about in my personal newsletter about custom GPTs, because for those people who have built a custom GPT with OpenAI's service, you got an email last week that said, hey, we're launching the GPT store next week. If you're interested in sharing your custom GPT that you built in the store, you know, they, they give a little laundry list of, of to-do items, but this means that people who have built custom GPTs, like, for example, the Katie GPT that we have built, you'll be able to offer to the public a, a belief for money. So, Katie, are you excited to sell access to Katie GPT and become a digital, a, a synthetic influencer? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Um, well, you know, it's fun. on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, everybody needs more Katie in their life. On the other hand, my very pragmatic brain starts thinking through all the risks involved with offering up your custom GPT to people besides yourself. So, you know, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. I feel like it's going to be a mess when it first rolls out because we don't know how other people have structured their custom GPTs and now they're just going to be up for use. So yeah, I think that there's, I think it's an interesting idea, but I think there's a heck of a lot of risk involved with this kind of move from OpenAI. I agree. So I figured what we could do is talk through five qualifying questions to ask whether you should, if you're a GPT maker, whether you should put yourself for sale. <clears throat> and more importantly, if you are an end user, should you even buy one of these things? And huge surprise, the five questions are based on the 5P framework. So number one is purpose. What is the purpose of a custom GPT? Uh, fundamentally, these are customized versions of chat GPT. They have custom prompts, system instructions that tell the machine how to behave. So in the case of Katie GPT, we're telling it to sound like you as much as possible with a bunch of examples and some more advanced techniques. Um, there is knowledge. So one of the things that custom GPTs allow you to do is upload up to 20 documents uh, into the system that give it expanded context. This is a technique called retrieval augmented generation. And what retrieval augmented generation does is it gives a system like ChatGPT a place to look first for knowledge that it does not already have. So, uh, or if it does have, you want to give extra emphasis to it. So for example, we Katie has written a couple of years in a row now, the letters from the corner office, which is the cold opens to all the newsletters, about 40,000 words per book. And each of these can get loaded into a custom GPT, especially if OpenAI has not crawled those newsletter posts that have been on the website. Or if we were to take Katie's conversations from our Slack group, Analytics for Marketers, and extract only Katie's words from all the chat logs, we could put that into a custom GPT and it would give ChatGPT more tokens to draw from. And in the case of the Analytics for Marketers chats, that's content that is not public, it's never been made public. And so it would have new knowledge that the underlying model simply does not have. And then the third thing you can build into these things, which we have not done with KDGPT, is actions. And this is where you can have it call out to third-party APIs. So if Trust Insights, for example, had a private database, we could have a call into that. If I if I wanted to rig KDGPT to like the all recipes API, and something could it could ask the API for you know recipes and get back recipe answers. Those capabilities are what make a custom GPT more valuable because they can do it can do things in theory properly implemented that 
the stock model of chat GPT cannot do. So let's go back to the purpose. I, you know, if I had to wager a guess, Chris, I would say that a lot of people are building custom GPTs similar to Katie GPT, but for themselves so that they can maybe not do as much work, you know, so that they could have this custom model, you know, take on the burden of outlining posts or writing emails or doing whatever. Why would someone want to buy a version of me if I am not on their team? Like, what is the purpose there? So, Katie GPT is a relatively poor choice because it is a customized model that has a very, very specific, clear purpose, but that purpose is right. not broadly applicable. Um, if we look at the collection of custom GPTs that, that we keep around, and I'm excluding a few of these here on screen, we have things like the Python Coder GPT, Speaking Contract Evaluator, the Adobe Analytics GPT that has a bunch of Adobe's documentation loaded into it, uh, the R Coder GPT, a sales email copywriter GPT, and a few others. Some of these like the Python coding GPT, this is one that I built that is specifically designed to help code better, to write code in a very specific way that, that has some extra requirements. Same for the R coder one. In fact, let's go into the R coder GPT because I think it's a good example of one that you could offer up for sale. So in here, I have the knowledge base. I have two things in a knowledge base. I have one there's a bunch of R libraries that I like to code with, the, the Tidyverse family of libraries. Very often, when you use stock chat GPT, it's relying on older knowledge, right? It's relying on knowledge from as, as early as 2021, 2020. A lot has changed since then. So what I do is I will download these, these manuals, which are open to the public, they're, and they're open source. So they're licensed to be, to be downloaded. Uh, I'll compile them. I'll put them in this custom GPT to say like, hey, when I tell you to use ggplot, for example, look in this manual first before relying on your own knowledge because this is more up to date. This has better instructions. This has better examples of more modern function calls. That's one example. There's a library of my favorite functions and stuff that I've written over time that I have in here that save time. Like there's a, a function to make a specific type of chart. And then there's a bunch of rules that I have in here like always use tidyverse methods, always use the, the the forward pipe instead of the Magritte pipe because I like it for easier coding. So if you wanted to code in this particular style using a more up-to-date version of R functions, this custom GPT would do a better job than, than stock chat GPT. So this would be an example of maybe one that you could open to the public and say, hey, this will help you code better. That makes more sense because I think that there's, you know, it's it goes back to, how people are using these platforms in the first place. And we've seen the data that states that people are using it primarily to create content, um, which is over utilizing the wrong parts of the platform. And so by offering a custom GPT that can help you code or analyze certain kinds of data, that to me is a much better use case for why you would open that to the public. You mentioned something, and I know we're going to go through the other four Ps, and I believe this will come under process, but you mentioned that you know, part of your instructions to the custom model was to always look at the manual that you gave it first because it's the most up-to-date. What are the odds that people are maintaining these custom GP mo GPT models correctly when they open it to the public so that you know you're getting something current or accurate? We don't know. 
And right. this is a big part of what I was saying in, in my newsletter about this this week is this is software development. You are rolling out a software product. When you offer custom GPT for sale, you're offering up a product to someone else mm -hmm. that is software-based, which means that all of the, the fun of uh, software development is now your responsibility to maintain it, to disclose what's in it and how it works and whether it's compliant with all the, the rules and regulations. For example, I saw someone recently showing an example of how you could have it be a travel guide, right? Like, hey, this will help you plan your vacation. Well, okay, that's cool, but the world is a very changing dynamic place and there are probably places you should not go right now. Does your travel guide take that into account? That is a liability question, right? There are things that you should not do yeah, you know, you know there, there are cultures and laws that vary from place to place. If someone says, hey, what should I bring to go on vacation in East Pretoria? Right? The question should be, well, you know, what things are you not allowed to do? I'm, I'm planning a trip in L to London at the end of February. There's a whole bunch of things I can't bring into the UK. They're illegal. Um, same with going to Europe. There are things that are illegal to bring into Europe. For example, if you take melatonin for sleep, that's a regulated drug in Europe. It's over the counter in the USA. It's a regulated drug. And if you go through EU customs with that in your suitcase, you're going to have a bad time. There are even like artificial sweeteners that you're not allowed to, to have in Europe because the EU says this this is not safe. We can discuss <laughs> regulatory. That's, I feel like that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that's all over the mouth. But if you're making a custom GPT and it gives you travel advice that is in violation of laws, have you taken that into account? And what is your responsibility as the provider of this software to adhere to those rules and regulations? It's funny that you bring up travel. I mean, I think that's a really good example. I saw a commercial the other day, and I think to the general public, they probably wouldn't think much of it. But because I know enough to be dangerous about uh, custom GPTs, I sort of, I watched this commercial, I was like, who thought this was a good idea? So basically the basic premise was that um, a woman who uses a wheelchair and her service dog were trying to get around like a, you know, very cold clustered city. And she typed, you know, into the prompt, the chat GPT model, um, you know, me and my dog need some sunshine, any recommendations. And that was the whole thing. And the interaction was like, sure, I can help. And then the next thing you know, she's like at a nice resort with her service dog. And the only thing I think I could think was like, there are so many missing steps. <laughs> and clearly she has some very specific needs that need to have been, you know, talked through in this thing. But yet the example that they showed was I need some sunshine, any hotel recommendations, like, that's not how prompts work. You can prompt at that and you're going to get really crappy results. And so I just, as someone who knows better, I felt like that was really irresponsible of the production company who put that commercial together. But to the general public, that's how they're using it. And so, you know, I didn't know you couldn't bring melatonin into, you know, the UK like that. It's not something that I think would occur to anyone to even ask the question of what can't I bring? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Things like body armor, totally illegal to bring anywhere into into the EU. Well, Chris, <laughs> I mean, 
We're first we're talking about a sleep aid. Now we're talking about body armor. So I feel like those are two very different categories. <laughs> they are. They are. But this goes back to the five P's. One of the most important right. things you can do both as a software maker and as a software consumer is doing requirements gathering. Right. Mm -hmm. um, as much as as you may hate, as much as I dislike it, it is part and parcel of getting it right. And if you don't do the requirements gathering, then you will probably buy a custom GPT that doesn't fit your needs or that has some very some critical oversights. And and, and that's a, a really big problem. Uh, the second P is is people. This is an important one, for, especially on the consumption side. Who made the custom GPT and how trustworthy are they? Right. There are a lot of people who are, let's say, influential or at least very loud you know, online on social media. And they have big followings and, and you know, they're very entertaining people. Are they people that you would trust with your data? Because when you put data into a custom GPT, there's a couple of really important things that you need to know. Number one. A custom GPT has a little additional settings toggle down here when you're making it, and it's closed by default. This is how it looks. When you open this up, to, oh, this little tiny menu, it says, hey, use this data. Open AI, you are allowed to use this data in our conversations to train your models. If the person who made a custom GPT does not pay attention to the fine print, then your conversation data with this custom GPT is being handed to a third party. Now, if you're doing travel vacation, maybe that might not be sensitive, but I saw someone rolling out saying, hey, I built a custom GPT to help you do your account-based marketing. That contains PII, right? That contains personal identifying information if you're doing ABM properly. Has that custom GPT maker turned this off? Right, that's number one. Number two, when I say create actions, let me show you an example here of a pet store action. This you can see is a JSON interface that connects this custom GPT to a third party. In this case, petstore.swagger.io, and you know it can pass data back and forth. This is not OpenAI. This is a third party service. And all that is required it, to allow this is a privacy policy that could very well say, hey, we're going to take your data and resell it. That's compliant, right? If you tell people what you're going to do with their data, that's totally compliant. It's buried in the fine print. If the person who's created a custom GPT is, is implementing actions, your data could be going out to who the heck knows where. And you have no way of knowing it unless the maker discloses this. So a big part of the five P's of people is, do you trust the people who have made a custom GPT? And I think that that's a really good point. I mean, that's a good point for assessing any kind of software is, you know, the way that you build trust in software development is transparency and documentation. And so this goes back to your point about doing the requirements, Chris. But I know that you and I have, you know, as we've vetted software vendors before, the first thing we ask for is, can we take a look at your documentation? And I would say it's sort of a 50-50 split as to whether or not they have it available. If there is no documentation available when you're looking at custom GPTs in terms of how it's built or how it's maintained or even just what's inside, it's not the right GPT for you. You need to have some base level of trust and knowledge of what's going on inside of it in order to feel comfortable using it because you are going to start giving it your data and i'm making a big assumption here chris but 
if we put KDGPT on the market, we own it, we maintain it, we sell it, people who use it are then giving us their data. And they're giving their data. Right. And so I feel like that is something that you would want to go into with your eyes open. And so that's a really good point about people. Yeah. And on the maker side, do you have the people to maintain your software? Right. When I think back, you know, for example, if I go into, I, I have a, a separate custom GPT for Python coding because I'm worse at Python coding. So I had to put a lot more effort into making a GPT for it because there's a bunch of things that I know implicitly to do with R that I don't know to do with Python. So I created, if we want to look at this, this ridiculous, massive instruction sheet that I gave for the Python coder of here's all the best practices summarized into a a, what's called a representation, a priming representation to help the the custom GPT code better Python than I would because it's it knows the rules better than I do. That has to be maintained. That has to be maintained over time as Python versions change, as APIs change, as practices change, and what's accepted as best practice changes. This has to be maintained. And it's not clear that the people who are making custom GPTs understand that. I feel like that's a really good segue into process because that is, I mean, again, sort of where we keep circling back to the same point. We're talking about software development and anyone who's ever been involved with software development knows that it's never a one and done. It's not something you do and then walk away. It's something that is living, breathing and constant and needs constant care and attention and maintenance and upgrades. And the technology changes overnight and then everything breaks or, you know, you sneeze the wrong way and everything breaks or, you know, you turn your back and somebody has, you know, writ overwritten your code and everything breaks. Like, it becomes very fragile very quickly. And so if you are going to build a custom GPT and if you're going to offer it in an open market store, you need to have a plan for how this thing is going to stay update up to date or else you're going to have a lot of very angry customers who are going to rightfully destroy your reputation. On the flip side, as a consumer, you need to know how the custom GPT that you're purchasing is being kept up to date and maintained, what their service level agreement is going to be. Let's say someone decides to buy your or you know license your Python custom GPT. Who do they reach out to if something's not working? How What happens if it breaks? These are all things that you want to figure out ahead of time as part of your process. Another really big part of process is is disclosure and ethics. The the limitations for uploads in in a custom GPT are you have up to 20 files and each file has to be less than 10 megabytes. The text for this book is only about 137 kilobytes, right? If you take out all the images and all this, the text itself is about 137 kilobytes. Uploading this as a document into a custom GPT is pretty easy, right? So if I make Chris GPT and distribute it and it has the knowledge that's contained in, in all of my books, it's going to do a really good job. It will have that text that is not publicly available on the internet, but can be put in there. And that's great, right? It, it, it allows people to interact with it. If I put up a custom GPT and put this book that is not mine in it, there is no restriction on this. I could put Anne's book in into a, a expert writing GPT. And because 
the ingredients of a custom GPT are not available to the public, I could be leveraging Anne's work, it's copyrighted work, without her permission, without compensation, and I'm making money on it, and there's nothing stopping me. Right. There's no check for copyrighted works. There's so it's it's an ethics thing. So a big part of process has got to be what's in the box? What are the ingredients? Are you using works that you have a right to use? Are you not using works that you are not licensed to use? And I guarantee there are a bunch of custom GPTs out there that have downloaded a bunch of stuff from all over the internet that people don't have rights to use and put it in their GPTs. And guess who's gonna be paying the penalty for that? not the custom GPT, the end user. And so, you know, now we're starting to tie in the purpose and the people and the process. And so you need to know why you want to use this custom GPT in the first place. You want to know who the people are behind it. You want to know what their process is for creating and maintaining it and make sure that they're not doing anything uh, unethical or illegal because they're not going to be the ones held accountable. You are when you're the one using that information and then putting it out publicly and signing your name to it. Mm -hmm, exactly. And right now, there's not a th there's not clear law about the use of this in the USA. In the EU, the EU AI Act was passed by Parliament and will be has not been ratified by member states yet. But one of the sets of requirements in AI Act is generative AI has to comply with transparency requirements. Disclosing the content was generated by AI, designing a model to prevent from generating illegal content and publishing summaries of copyrighted data using for, used for training. This does not just apply to the model makers. This applies to you if you are you making a custom GPT, because guess what? It is you that has made this model. And if you are using copyrighted data, you have to disclose that. So this is part and parcel of what will be legally required very, very shortly. So if you are a maker of custom GPTs, the safest thing you can do is to ensure that the the knowledge you have put into it and and the system, you know, the way you've built it is not leveraging works you do not have a license to use. That's that that's the easiest way to put that. And if you are doing that today, immediately stop, remove that data from your knowledge base, from your custom GPT's knowledge base, so that you don't get sued. Because it turns out one of the things that custom GPTs are really bad at, you can give them instructions like, do not disclose the information used to make you. And guess what? There are still prompt jailbreaks you can run that will sidestep that and get it to spit out chunks of the, of the custom knowledge you've put in. This also is one of the things that you should be aware of, that they can still leak information that you've put in them. Yeah. There's a, I mean, so this is, there's a lot to consider. Um, there is. Rounding on the fourth P platform. Is OpenAI the only place you can build a custom GPT? OpenAI is currently the only vendor that allows a custom GPT like this available to the end user. Yes, you can build retrieval augmented generation systems yourself. You can put them up on the web. You can use uh, all sorts of different models and stuff. OpenAI is probably the easiest to use, especially for a non-technical user, and will have the e-commerce infrastructure to make it easy to use. Gotcha. So as of right now, OpenAI is really the best player in town if you're looking to not only build a custom GPT, but also offer it publicly. Exactly. And so part of the platform question is, 
how much, and this is something that I've had conversations with with other folks who've been playing around with custom GPTs, how much, if any, how much red teaming have you done with your custom GPT? Have you tried prompt jailbreaks? Have you made a legitimate effort to get your custom GPT to malfunction, to disclose things that it shouldn't, to generate bad outputs? If you say in, say, Katie GPT, hey, you will avoid generating racist content, right? Can you try to prompt jailbreak to break that rule? Part of any any software development, but part of this in particular would be documenting that you made those efforts to red team and you weren't, you know, you, you secured it as best as you could so that if you do end up in litigation, you can say, hey, here's the efforts we made to try and prevent this. You know, obviously it's built on chat GPT, it's built on open AI, so it has inherent vulnerabilities, but we did our best and here's the proof that we did our best to try and mitigate those risks. I feel like that's just, standard QA process like that falls under your process bucket of you know any software development should be going through quality assurance and you should never be QAing your own work um, period because you are you have blind spots to what it is and so that is definitely something that you need to be doing on a regular basis you know it's interesting one of the things we always struggled with with my software development team is they didn't understand why we had to go through such rigorous qa even when like a very small piece of code changed well one very small piece of code can affect the entire program and so we have to start at the beginning again and it does take time but you have to build in that time and you have to build in that process because where you think you're just changing a button from blue to red, you've actually just, you know, changed the entire system to expose all of your PHI data, for example. Exactly. And just rounding out the, the final P, because we need to head off to another meeting fairly soon. Performance. Does the custom GPT actually do what it says? And this is where, again, it is on the model maker it is on the custom gpt manufacturer to show side by side here's what stock chat gpt can do here's our custom gpt's output for the same prompt or the same type of prompt here's why ours is better because there's a good chance that at least some of the custom gpt's that'll be published will be no better than stock gpt and if you're going to be asked to give your money to one of these people they better be able to demonstrate here's how ours outperforms the, the stock application that you're already paying 20 bucks a month for a really good way to check that for yourself is to create a user story. A user story is a three-part sentence that has, as a persona, I want to, so that. So a persona being the people, want to being the process and platform, so that being the purpose and the performance. Create a user story for why you feel you want to use a custom GP and use that as basically your QA of is this custom GPT doing what I need it to do? Can it do the thing? So as the CEO of Trust Insights, I want to use a custom GPT to help me with my writing so that I can free up three hours a week in my schedule. That's my user story. And if my custom GPT can't do that, then it's not the right one for me. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's what's coming 
with custom GPTs in the very, very near future. And like I said, you're going to see a lot of people hawking their custom GPTs. Having those user stories, having those requirements is going to be essential for figuring out, should we even bother spending money on this thing? We don't know what the pricing is going to be. We don't know if it's going to be like an, uh, an app store where it's like 99 cents or whatever to, to get access to this thing, or if it's going to be like uh, an enterprise marketplace. Like, hey, here's a custom GPT you can have for $2,000 a month. But regardless of whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, you still want to have your homework done first so that it, you're, you know you're spending your money in the right places and you can tell very quickly if it's worth it or not. I agree. So do your homework, do your due diligence. Don't just start giving people money. Make sure you know what you're buying. If you'd like to give people money for absolutely no reason whatsoever, we, well, we have AI services. <laughs> well... It's not no reason whatsoever. We are trusted professionals who can help you uh, stand up and implement and educate on your AI endeavors. Exactly. And if you are a custom GPT maker and you would like us to assess it, just let us know it's something that we can help with. If you're planning on buying a custom GPT or maybe you're not, let us know what, what's on your mind. Pop into our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,000 other people, all human as far as we know, are having conversations and asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever as you watch or listen to the show, if there's a platform you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where we are on most pl uh, podcast platforms. And while you're on your platform of choice, please leave us a rating and a review. It does help to share the show. Thanks for tuning in. I will talk. Talk to you next time.